Welcome to Out of Our Minds. You are listening to part four of a discussion on preaching between Pastor Tim Bailey, Pastor Jake Menzel, and myself, Nathan Alberson. If you like to hear people talk shop, then this is the podcast series for you. Of course, you should listen to parts one through three if you haven't already before you listen to part four. And another thing you should do, if you are a man who's interested in going into the ministry, then you want to go to newgenevaacademy.com and learn about New Geneva Academy. NGA provides distance education, but also local mentoring and tailored in-person training to help raise up the next generation of pastors for historically reformed churches. So spend some time on our website to learn about the program, or give us a call to speak with us about training the men of your church for ministry. Once again, your starting point for that is newgenevaacademy.com. Go take a look today. So I feel like everybody's dodging the question of having anything much to say about gestures or cadence. I guess we've talked about it a little bit. Okay, let me say something about gestures. Who is the master of gestures? Rob Bell. Mm. Also Tim Keller. I personally believe that gestures that are thought through, and you can tell when they're thought through, are appropriate for a magician because he's hiding something, but never appropriate for a pastor. And I refer to them when preachers do and have mannerisms of gesticulating. I refer to it as prestidigitation. Rob Bell was to his core a deceiver. The content was deceptive. The presentation was deceptive. His hand gestures were deceptive. His body posture was deceptive. Everything that Rob Bell did was carefully crafted to communicate lies because eventually it came out. He denied hell. He's just an absolute false shepherd. But it was obvious to me at the beginning just because of his presentation. And so be very careful When you're under a man who uses his hands a lot, now, I'm not talking about an Italian. There are some people, their hands are irrepressible. But that's not what we're talking about. Can you, Jake, describe what we're talking about? Well, it's it's hard to talk about because what you... the flip side of this is you want to tell somebody they have to be integrated, right? And so their body is... It's an important vehicle. Yeah, it is expressive of everything that they have to say. And they can't bottle it up, right? And just try to be a disembodied brain. It's like you were talking about early on in the conversation about the church, where it's like, well, our bodies, it doesn't matter if we stand up, if we sit down, our posture, anything like that. If we are convinced of something, if we are trying to communicate, our bodies get into it. And that's mm-hmm, just the way that mm-hmm. things are. If you look at a coach on the sidelines in a game and he's animating, he's trying to get his players' attention, he's going to be using his hands, he'll hunch over, he'll stand up, he might jump, any number of things to get people's attention and get them to understand the gravity of what he has to say to them as he's trying to get their attention. But that is a man who is fully integrated using everything that he is to communicate something to people that he cares about to get a result. And then there's like this whole art, on the other hand, of just like... Hypnotism. Uh, yeah, it's like, hip- yeah. Yeah, it's hypnotism, it's prestidigitation, it's a kind of showmanship that is just lulling you into a trance. This used to be this one grad student at our church that he would talk, and when he started to go like this, I, you can't see my my hand gestures, but he's like pulling these like nuanced little thoughts out of the air. It's just like, at that point, 
like, I don't know if I want to punch you or if I just want to grab you or if I just want to shut down or if I just want to walk away. Like, I don't want to ha- have anything to do with anything that you're saying right now. Yeah. It's so fundamentally like a posture, a lie. Okay. But it's interesting. As you're talking, and I'm thinking about guys like Rob Bell and thinking about academics and how they use their hands and their voice and the vocabulary. One of the things that is common is that the goal of all of their affect is to present them as caring less and more being more objective and being large spirited and and being collegial and mm-hmm. being and what I noticed about professors is that when they were their softest and making their point most nuanced and when the gestures were most understated, okay, mm-hmm. and there's there are gestures that are bombastic of hands, mm-hmm. and yeah. there are gestures that are self-revealing and weak and light, mm-hmm. all yeah. right? It's those gestures that are light and weak, which are most deceptive. And it's when they claim to be being collegial and when their vocabulary is supposedly liberal and open and accepting that I noticed the professors were most intolerant, most dogmatic, most cynical, most manipulative. Mm-hmm. What we have to realize is that it's hard work to discriminate between good and evil. That's why Hebrews yeah. says that this is hard work. Yeah. Okay. And we have to get to the point where we see what is being communicated by gestures of vocabulary and affect. But I think part of that is learning to recognize what's obvious and learning to believe people when they tell you what they are. I know, but people don't do that. I know, but what we're actually describing is the bad guy, the evil magician in a Disney movie. He'll be moving his hands. Like this in a very subtle, manipulative, hypnotic way. And people do this. They're mesmerists. They're obviously mesmerists. If you saw them in a movie, you'd say, oh, that's a bad guy. But <laughs> Oh, my goodness. But then you, see, you, then you see them in real life and you don't let yourself Why? have the thought. Why? 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 What is it that we have the freedom to see what we're seeing in a movie but not in life? What is this? Well, I mean, some of it, maybe you just don't want to believe. Yeah, we just don't believe in depravity, right? No, it's not that simple. It's not that simple. In a movie, right, you believe that there's a director who's telling you something about a character. You never believe that somebody's telling you something about themselves. But people always tell you everything about themselves. They do. And this is why, like, if you, like, are going to listen to one of those people are, like, experts in lie detection or whatever, Right. They'll tell you all kinds of things, like just little cues, right? How do you know somebody is lying? Well, when they say no, it comes out of their body. They'll be nodding their head yes. Or when they say yes and they're nodding their head no or shaking their head no, they just can't help but get out. They're confessing the lie as they're telling it. Body posture, arms folded, feet pointing towards a door, all those little cues like that. Just say, this is what I really think this is what I really feel. This is what I'm feeling in this moment. I think you're right about that. But I also wonder whether we don't have such a sense of weakness and victimhood Mm -hmm. and disappointment and weakness and victimhood, whether we're not such a pathetically insecure culture today. 
that we don't ever want to hold somebody accountable for what they say and do. We feel that people have a right, given how they suffer in life and their mother didn't love them, okay, to have a graceful reception by us and that we're going to be the one person that doesn't judge them. Mm-hmm. Because the reason that I got exercised over this, Nathan, is where it most frustrates me is when we refuse to acknowledge that a man who presents himself as a woman mm-hmm. is a liar and a cheat. Right. Okay? And so I will observe that that man's presenting himself as a woman. Mm-hmm. And people will have a fit that I would say such a thing because to them, sexuality isn't sexuality, it's gender, it's a choice, it's plastic, and everyone has an inalienable right to choose how they present. And so if you observe, well, he's presenting as a woman, they say, well, no, he just likes poetry. Now, I'm using that instead of some of the the visible things. Like, I stopped at a McDonald's to get a hamburger, and the voice over the speaker was androgynous. I couldn't tell whether it was a man or a woman, but it sounded like a man. But then when I got to the window where you pay, there were very long painted fingernails, and It was a dude, but he was completely a woman, Mm -hmm. right? Well, if I have any Christian with me and I make that observation, they get unleashed that I have seen what I've seen. I remember when my kids were little, I would be walking publicly with them, and somebody would walk by that had like taken a bone and put it through his nose, drilled a hole through his nostrils, and had this huge like thigh bone. Now, I never saw that, but I'm, I'm using it as an illustration of the lengths to which people go to get attention, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. They pull their earlobes down to their knees and spread them with a come-along. They have tattoos up their nostrils, and then they roll their head back, so you have to look up their nostril and see their... Okay, right? And so I would be with these little sweet, pretty and cute little kids, and I'm the dad, And so I have innocence all around me. And as we'd be walking publicly, I would point to a man that we're coming up to who had a bone through his nose, and I would smile, and I'd look at my children, and I'd say real loudly, look at the man with the bone in his nose. Mary Lee, would she would die. What do you have to say things like that for? And I would always say to her, well, the man wanted me. (laughs) to notice the bone in his nose. And I wanted the kids because he wants the kids to notice the bone. And so I was pointing out the bone in his nose because he wanted me to. Mm -hmm. Well, and she never knew how to respond to that. But it's on that level today with sexuality, with so many things is we will not give people the dignity of trusting what they say. Mm -hmm. And it drives me crazy because discernment in counseling and pastoral care and preaching begins with you believing that what people tell you they actually are committed to. Mm -hmm. And it's like today, you have the freedom to state something and a microsecond later state something incompatible with that, and nobody should ever call into question that you just contradicted yourself. I don't know what this is, but it drives me bonkers. And, and why is it in movies that we cultivate our ability? You said earlier, well, maybe it's because people are actually depraved. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it's that today 
There can only be evil in fiction. Mm-hmm. There can only be judgment. Well, in but fiction. I do think there is something to. I think of all the people I know, I am very well aware of my own depravity and other people's depravity. And yet, when I see Rob Bell, for example, the knee-jerk reaction isn't necessarily villain. It's beautifully broken or self-deceived or just having the category of wolf, having a mental container for wolf and being able to put him into there is not something that my brain wants to do. It always wants to find another category. So I've had to train myself over the years to say, yeah, if that person's acting like a pedophile, if that person's acting like a wolf, if that person is acting like a predator, if that the person you'd say is a bad guy in a movie, let's not necessarily assign another category, a victim category. Your brain, for whatever reason in today's culture, or maybe I, I don't know if it's all time or today or what, but it's like you scramble to find any category that doesn't just make you put them in the evil box. And it's been helpful to me as I learned to be discerning in my life to say, there's actually a container. There's actually a mental container called evil. And I can put some things in that. Ian Murray at the end of Evangelism Divided has a chapter where he shows how demonic attacks upon the truth are and their sophistication and their power and their ability to manipulate us. And he faults us with not taking seriously Satan's attack on truth and his deceptiveness. And Rob Bell, everything in me from the very beginning, from when I first saw Bullhorn Guy, Mm -hmm. everything in me immediately saw that he was demonic in his manipulation and deception. And when I say demonic, I mean demonic. Right. Because... He's such a threat to the sheep of God. And so I don't know how you and I end up at different places with a guy like Rob Bell. I'm not sure how. No, that- I think we end up at the same place. What I'm illustrating is that I think a lot of people actually have that. Oh, what's that stupid Malcolm Gladwell book, Blink? It's system one and system two right. is Daniel Kahneman's way of putting it. We just you have the don't. analytical side that you think things through and you've got your reactions, the visceral, emotional intuitive, right? And your intuitions can be right on and instantly suppressed by your analytical reasoning, or your intuitions can be deceived and you've got to pick apart why and how. Right. And and so I think I see Rob Bell, I say demonic immediately. And then I say, well, that can't be right. And what I've had to learn as I get older is not to say that actually, to say, oh. Many false prophets have gone out. There are many deceiving spirits. If this is what scripture warns us of, then we should be looking carefully for deceiving spirits and feel a certain satisfaction when we recognize one, because that's a step in the right direction, because the Bible tells us that we have to watch out for these things. But what I find is nobody is ever prepared to say anybody is a deceiving spirit. You watch that woman And I almost don't want to say the word woman in connection with her. And she's all over the airwaves and television. And she is a man. She's a walking, living man. And women love her. She's a preacher. What's her name? Beth Moore. No, I don't think it's Beth Moore. It's a charismatic. Joyce Meyer. Yeah, Joyce Meyer. How can you not see how demonic she is? Mm -hmm. And the Bible says in the letters to the seven churches that 
she who calls herself a prophetess. How is it that we've gotten to the point where we don't believe that any of the evils in Scripture are in our lives and that it's important to name them? Mm -hmm. If she is not demonic in reversing the order of creation that God created as the fatherer, if that's not demonic, if that is not Satan, again, operating through Eve to cause all men to die through Adam— what on earth is it? And so people would say, well, I can't believe you said that Joyce Meyer is demonic. She just doesn't hold to the same position you hold about manhood and womanhood and all this other stuff. And I say, listen to her. Watch her hands. Watch the close-ups of the faces. Can you not see this? Okay, all right, fine. Joyce Meyer is actually a prophetess of God. All right, I'll give you that. I, do, I won't, but just for the sake of argument. Then I go to Tolly to Vidget. The first picture I ever saw him was a shirt unbuttoned down to his navel. He just oozes. All he preaches is his own sexuality. sexuality. Yeah. And people Everything have a about fit him. when you say this. It's just the most, like, he is just oppressing you with his sexuality all the time. He is just being sexual. But people sensual. have a fit. Everything he does is sensual. But people have a fit when you say that. But well, what you guys are saying is it walks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, therefore it's a duck. And I think what a lot of people today would say, just because it walks like a duck and just because it quacks like a duck, can you really be sure? Have you seen into its heart and seen that it's a duck? The least surprising thing in the world was that Chavijan was an adulterer. But people do just want to say, well, that's just a coincidence. And that's why he's back in ministry as some director of ministry at some church or whatever. And And that's all I wanted to say about Rob Bell is I think, yeah, obviously he's demonic, but I think what people say is, well, how can you know? So, so then this gets back to that thing that Tim was saying at the beginning, which is part of, I think what we have to reckon with, which is actually what it means to be a man, what it means to be an embodied soul, right? We're not just souls that happen to have bodies that are indifferent, right? So it matters that we stand up in worship. It matters our posture as we pray. It matters what we do with our bodies as we sing and worship God. It matters that we're men. It matters that we're women. All these things, they all matter and they all connect. And we cannot act like how we behave is not connected to deeper realities of our souls. Or how we see people behave and posture themselves is not a reflection of what's in their souls. The way I see it, we're always cutting slack to the wicked Mm -hmm. and condemning the righteous. That's how I see it. Because if I will say, watch out for Tolly Tavigian, he is a predator sexually, which is what I said the minute he came on the scene. That's what I said publicly. And people then absolutely trash me for saying that. They trash me for saying that. And I think a shepherd is supposed to get good at recognizing wolves. Mm -hmm. And I think we should believe that if a man presents himself as a sexual predator in demonstrating his his chest hair, in wearing jewelry, in having skin-tight jeans, I think we should trust that presentation as being sensual. Yep. Okay? Just like Calvin Klein ads of little children in underwear on billboards, which my wife hated with a perfect hatred. And other people were just saying, well, they're just cute. No, 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 no. We have an avalanche of 
predatory and raping of little children in the church today that we have spent our lives dealing with Mm -hmm. in this church, in our churches. No, it's not innocent. It is not innocent to present yourself as a middle-aged man who is handsome and virile. This is one of the most intractable problems. I lamented earlier, we were lamenting the absence of love for the sheep in preaching. I cannot see how to get people to see what they're seeing when it comes to sexuality today. Mm. It's like we're so inundated with sensuality that we don't know how to be truthful. I went and worshiped at a church over in Germany, and it's a biblical church with good leadership. And I was presented with a wall of femininity during all of the worship part of the service. There were women across the entire platform, and the only men were sitting down playing instruments behind this wall of women. I have no question those women were all godly. Mm -hmm. There was nothing emphasizing the shape of their bodies, whereas you think of this woman in our church who would go to a very well-known church with a well-known pastor down in Georgia. And they had a woman leading worship there who would wear skin-tight black leather pants. So there was none of that on this platform, and yet the content was completely feminine when it came to worship and only became masculine when the preacher got in the pulpit. And people will have a fit hearing me say this. The texts of the songs and the melodies and the way they were sung were all feminine. They were all subjective. They were all emotive. And so, I don't know, Nate, we started talking about gestures and, mm-hmm. and habits, and, and we've moved over to this discussion of the sensuality of the modern church when it comes to worship, and yikes. <laughs> and it's Hillsong. I never knew what Hillsong was until I went over to Germany, and everything's Hillsong. And I'm thinking, oh, yuck, because I've had Jody and our musicians leading me in worship, and mm-hmm. they have women up front. Right, But it's nothing like what is in every other church, which is absolutely flat-out femininity. Mm-hmm. And people will deny it. They'll say, get your mind out of a gutter. What's wrong with you that you're objecting to this? And I'm saying, can't we have men lead us in worship? You're going to have to cut all this. Oh, my goodness. Well, I may have a way of tying it back. Let me see if this makes sense anywhere besides in my brain. I remember the first time I ever, I think I gave a men's lesson at a at a men's group, David's Mighty Men, back at Trinity Clearnote, whatever it was called at that time. So it was the first time I had done any kind of preaching, teaching, anything like that publicly. A godly older man said to me, the, the two best pieces of advice that I've carried with me, and one of them was, don't fiddle with the pen in your pocket. You look like you're playing with your nipple. So he helped me with a bad habit because I would always have a pen in my pocket and then I would just like fidget with it. Fidget. And so it was this really distracting, stupid, fidgety habit. And then he said, Nathan, you're such a big guy that people will not accept anything from you besides bigness. And so you need to spread your hands out. You need to have big gestures. Mm -hmm. You need to be loud. You need to be you. You need to be, well, that's the thing. That's what I'm getting at. He told me to do this, which was not, natural to me to want to do that it's just as easy for me to get up there be small be cornered be neurotic whatever and in a way he was very much saying don't be you be performative and yet having that direction gave me permission to be 
myself in a way that I never would have been able to if somebody hadn't just simply said, be You're big. You're a big guy. Be big. You're a big guy. Be big. He wasn't saying just be you. It was like, right. there's things that you don't need to bring into the pulpit with you. Right. But, and, yeah. but he was saying, he was somehow giving, I don't even know how to say it. He gave me permission to be me. And if you like anything that I've ever done on the podcast or anything, it, it actually stems from, from that. It's like I suddenly was free. Well, it's weird because the same thing is true. Let's just talk about physical size for half a second. Mm-hmm. If you've seen little guys in the pulpit try to be big and to have gravity and dignity and authority that exceeds their stature, mm-hmm. it man, it can feel so unnatural and so wrong. Right. Because they're lying about something. Yeah, so it was like I needed to find an artificial performance style that matched the reality of who I was. And I only mean artificial in that it didn't feel like I didn't just do it. It didn't just spring spontaneously out of me. I had to work on it. But the more I worked on it, the more I perfected it, the more I was able to do something that approximated who I was in a comfortable way. Sorry, I just interrupted. I, no, you know, I, it's, it's kind of interesting. I wonder whether the truth isn't the opposite of what you said I- and that you're your true self when you spread your arms and speak directly. I know that's true of myself. I know I'm big. And I know that when I try to under-present myself, it is not who God made me. Mm-hmm. God did not give me a limited vocabulary. He didn't give me a brain that's stodgy. He didn't give me a body that's small. He didn't give me a girth that is thin. And when I try to go against the grain of the office that God gave me, now, so I'm, I'm starting to think about what you're saying in terms of office. Isn't it true that manhood is an office that we are to be faithful to? All right, we're all going to agree with that. Sure. But can I go further and say, isn't it true that stature is an office? Isn't it true that education, that intellect is an office that is to be used to serve the sheep? Okay? And if we're trying to hide that, it can be d- dishonest. Yeah. Let, me, let me use this as an illustration. He's a pastor in Bloomington. He's mostly muscle. He's a broad guy. He's huge shoulders. Yep. He's good looking. Yep. And... I have said to him over and over and over again through the years, Josh, God has given you your body as a gift. Don't try to keep from scaring people. Mm -hmm. Because I always feel like he's tempted to present himself in an aw shucks manner to compensate for the office God's given him in a specimen of a body that is like Saul. Mm -hmm. right? I mean, it really, he is a specimen. And so I feel like being humble, he wants to minimize his body and his presentation and his authority bodily. And I don't want him doing that. Mm -hmm. I don't want him apologizing for what God has made him. And so I don't know, I'm, I'm prepared to say it's when you are spreading your arms that I feel like you're willing to be who God made you to be, mm-hmm. even though you feel it's a performance. I feel like everything's a performance, though, so I'm a bad yeah, guest. Yeah, but can you judge, but can you trust your judgment of what is a performance? I don't know that you can trust yourself in that. Anyhow, 
Yes, you're absolutely right in what you say about what old man. I have, my best friend is very short, Robert Woodyard. He's a pastor in Wyndon, Washington. And I have never in the slightest felt that Robert was trying to compensate for his size and mm -hmm. was unhappy with it. Never. I have another man who has been very influential in my life, who is about as short as Robert, who would demand that a stool be put behind the podium. And while he preached, he would go up on his tiptoes and up on his tiptoes and up on his tiptoes. And I always felt that this man was shamed mm -hmm. by his stature. <laughs> and he would say, schedule. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I felt that that was an exact equivalent to the stool that he stood on when he preached. And I love this guy. But I mean, really, do we have to say the schedule? <laughs> He's not with us anymore, so don't worry. He won't know I'm talking about. <laughs> At the end of the day, I think that what we don't want to be is calculated. What we want to be is helpful, or as Tim would say. Helpful. And that means learning how to use every tool in the tool bag, learning how to throw in the kitchen sink. And so much of this conversation keeps coming back to the difference between doing it from love and doing it from calculation, calculated, self-serving, pride, all kinds of things like that. And it's just sort of like there is a difference and it's hard to put your finger on, but it's felt and it's real and God knows and God sees. And so go all in and be all in in your preaching. Be all in in loving your people and it'll translate to your preaching. It'll translate to you working. It'll translate to you looking at Jesus and saying, man, that Sermon on the Mount, like, oh, I, I want people to walk away from this sermon with that one thing that, that helps them this week. And I, I don't pretend to be Jesus, that I can give them the one thing that will live in history forever. But, I oh, mean, the one thing that maybe that they'll be reminded of on Thursday, how do I get past their defenses right now in this moment? How do I get into their hearts? Yeah, yeah. How do I do it? What does it take? Whatever it takes. The word ecstasy in Greek is ekstasis. And so it's out, ek is out, and stasis is stand. And so ecstasy is to stand out or to stand outside of yourself. And so pure ecstasy is that moment in life when you forget yourself and you stand outside of yourself. There is no question, whether it's in counseling in your office or in a home, teaching, preaching, or officiating at a wedding or funeral, the most helpful pastor is the pastor who is thinking least of himself and has forgotten himself because of the work and the importance and his love for the people. And one of the principal joys of old age is that you just occasionally are able to forget yourself as you're older. And your gestures become more synchronous with who you are. Your vocabulary, the points you make become the simple points of who is Jesus, Jake, your book. My dad used to say that the mark of an expert is not complication, but simplicity that a true expert is a man that takes things that are extremely complicated and explains them in a way that everybody understands. And that's what a pastor needs to do. A pastor needs to use every gift God's given us to feed the sheep. And the sheep are stupid. 
And so lower yourself to recognize that God actually has not given you a herd of stallions, (laughs) but he's given you stupid sheep. I like to tell pastors that if you've ever been around sheep, one of the things about sheep is if they get caught in barbed wire, they just stand in it and bleat. They can't figure out how to get out of the barbed wire. That's what God has told us about his people. The other thing I wanted to say about the Apostle Paul is, you're talking about Mm self-deprecation. Well, it is interesting that Paul has said several times, I must be an idiot to talk this way. Mm. Yeah. And so he does stop and observe that he's being an ass to defend himself, but that he has to. Right. I have to be an idiot to talk this way. And of course, even that endears him to us. It's like, oh, Paul, as opposed to Elizabeth Elliot. And I love Elizabeth Elliot, and I was close to her, actually, personally. But Elizabeth Elliot would say, defend myself. I will never defend myself. And for years, I thought, yes, I will never. And then I realized, you stupid idiot, you have to defend yourself. Satan is causing you to be attacked all the time. People don't know why you do what you do. Explain yourself. Lower yourself and defend yourself. (laughs) Paul says, I must be out of my mind. Hey. (laughs) Right? So at the end of the day, there it is. Be willing to be out of your mind. Hmm. Yeah, dad said that in New York City, Bishop, what was his name? Bishop. Anyway, he was an Episcopal bishop, Daddy Hall. Bishop Daddy Hall would send his seminary students out on the streets to witness, and they would wear sandwich boards. And he said his favorite sandwich board that he would see on Daddy Hall's students was, as he came towards you, it would say, I'm a fool for Christ. And then as he walked away from you, the back would say, whose fool are you? And isn't that a a perfect summary? Mm Mm-hmm. There are some people who are fools for Christ. All the rest of the people are fools for something else, but it's not Christ. Mm -hmm. But we're all fools. Yeah. (laughs) 